0: Mark, let's go to Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning that we can come and worship you here together, Lord, uh, as a church family. Lord, as we begin to uh, open your word and and study it, I pray that you'd open our hearts and you'd give me the words you have me to say. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So years ago, I agreed to babysit my friend's two kids for the evening, and I should have known something was up when they were escaping to their car before I even stepped in the door, their son was having a very excitable night. I think someone might have given him a few energy drinks. When I walked in the door, he immediately yelled, "Darvin, Darvin, look at me, look what I can do. Have you ever heard a kid say this before, right? Look at me, look what I can do. And I'm sure he would have landed that cartwheel if the cat and the coffee table hadn't been in the way. A little while later, we were eating dinner, and I couldn't get him to stop playing with his food. Hey, stop playing with it. Stop, stop. And halfway through, he said, hey, look at me. Look what I can do. And he pushed his his plate to the middle of the table, and just covering it were mashed potato and green bean bridges and moats. And when I was his age, I had been a master mashed potato engineer, and so I wasn't that impressed. He had some work to do. But the crescendo of the evening was as we were cleaning up the basement at night, about to go to bed. We're cleaning up and his sister's doing a great job and I look around and I can't find him anywhere until I hear him screaming from the top of the stairs, look at me, look what I can do. And I turn around, oh no, Was the and before I knew it, he was flying through the air to the bottom of the steps where there were two pillows. Now, he didn't hurt himself. And for a moment, I thought, oh, that was pretty impressive you didn't hurt yourself. Until I remembered that my only job was to keep these two kids alive until their parents got home. And that was just not helping. The whole evening was like this. He must have said it a dozen times Look at me. Look what I can do. Look at me. Look what I can do. We've all heard kids say it, and probably all of us as children at some point went through one of these look at me sort of phases, but it's something we never, we never quite grow out of, is it? It's, not, it's something we never quite grow out of. As adults, it might look a lot more complicated than a missed cartwheel or jumping down the stairs. But we still, at times, find ourselves operating out of the same mentality. Look at me. Look what I can do. We have a problem with glory. Glory is recognition, honor, and, and praise. And our, our lives often say, glory belongs to me. Look at me. Look, look what I can do. But then as we stumble through life, we find out just how very empty, that look at me mentality is. And we're left with the question, where does glory belong? And that's the question I want to bring to our chapter today. That's the question I want to ask as we come to John chapter 7. We're going to begin in verses 1 through 5. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe him. So this starts with who Jesus' brothers think he is. It's an identity question. Verse 5 tells us his own brothers did not believe him. Jesus' brothers at this point didn't believe he was the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord. Instead, look at verse 4. What do they think he is? They, They think Jesus wants to be a public figure. That's the language they use. That his goal is to be some sort of religious celebrity. Nothing more than a first century American idol contestant out to gain fame for themselves. The Festival of Tabernacles was probably the most well-attended Jewish festival at the time. And so Jesus' brother's advice actually makes some sense. Hey, if you go... If you go there and you work some of your miracle magic, you're going to get famous overnight. And isn't that what you're looking for as a public figure? And there's a selfish component here too. There's a selfish component where they could have said, "Hey, you know, you know Jesus, the celebrity Jesus? Yeah, he's my brother." Where does glory belong? Jesus' brothers wanted him to seek the personal glory of fame so they all could say, look at me. But they're not the only ones in our passage that show this mentality. Let's look at verses 11 through 15. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he is a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? So Jesus does go to the festival and begin to teach. And in verse 15, some of the crowd are amazed. What do they say? How did this man get such learning? But they're missing something. They're missing the biggest something. They haven't been touched spiritually at all. They just want to praise Jesus for a few of his human abilities, his his intelligence, his speaking ability, his teaching. They're defaulting to that same self-glorifying mentality because they themselves are so used to saying, look at me, look how intelligent, look how well-spoken I am. But we're not done seeing this mentality in our passage. In verses 19 and 27, Jesus says to the authorities, has not Moses given you the law, yet not one of you keeps the law? Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who's trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle and you are all amazed. Yet, because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now, if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? So if you remember back to chapter 5, There, Jesus healed a crippled man at the pool of Bethesda. And then, inexplicably, it blew our minds when we were looking at it. But the authorities accused him of breaking the Sabbath law and were out to get him with this excuse. But here in these verses, Jesus is pointing out their hypocrisy because while they were mad at him for for performing a miracle that healed a man's whole body on the Sabbath... They're performing circumcision on the Sabbath. And in verse 19, Jesus points out that they have the law. They have the law. They've been seeking self-righteous glory and keeping it, and they're still failing. These men have been using the law as an instrument, just another way to say, look at me. Look what I can do. Look how good, look how righteous I am. Look at the boxes I can check off. So we're asking in this passage: Where does glory belong? Jesus' brothers said, "Glory belongs to those with fame." The crowds said, "Glory belongs to those with ability." The authorities said, "Glory belongs to the self-righteous." But it's all the same answer. Where does glory belong? Look at me. Look what I can do. And we're still answering in that same way today. We live in a time when we're really encouraged to seek our own personal glory, where look at me is rewarded. The American pantheon is composed of replaceable celebrities glorified in TV, magazines, and award shows. We even reduce team sports often down to the glory of one single aging quarterback. (laughs) But this isn't just a problem for celebrities and for athletes. There's an instinct in all of us, out of our sin and brokenness, to say, look at me. For some, it works itself out by plastering their Facebook wall with posts that just beg for comment after comment of praise. For others, it turns into an obsession with their image, what others think of me. For some, it becomes a consuming drive for achievement at work, my ability recognized. For others, it turns into materialism, my accomplishments envied. And for others, failed attempts at personal glory turn to discontentment. In what ways? Do you find yourself seeking that personal glory at times? If we're asking, where does glory belong? We have to admit there's a whole lot of times in our life where we're operating out of this look at me mentality. But does it work? Does it work? Does all of this this look at me lead to joy and flourishing in our lives? The lie that self glorification tells us is that when we're empty, we're just not there yet. We just need a little more fame. We just need a little more achievement, a little more glory. But I want you to listen to the words of, of two people who have kind of reached the top of all human glory might have to offer. Leonardo DiCaprio is worth about. million, and if you listen to some, he's about to win the Oscar in a few weeks probably for the best actor of last year, and this is what he has said about all that. He said this, you learn after you've been in the business for a while that fame is empty and pointless. So even when you make it to the top, of all human glory has to offer, fame is empty and pointless. Jim Carrey, the comedian, spoke at the Golden Globe Awards a few weeks ago. He began by reminding everyone that he had actually already won two Golden Globes, and then he sarcastically said this. When I dream, I don't just dream any old dream, no sir. I dream about becoming three-time Golden Globe winning actor Jim Carrey. And then listen to this. This is this is remarkably insightful because then I would be enough. It would finally be true, and I could stop this, this terrible search for what I know ultimately will not fulfill me. Our our glory will never fulfill. Where does glory belong? Even if you make it to the top like these two folks have, seeking your personal glory is utterly empty and we find that we are not where glory belongs but jesus proposes quite a different answer to our question let's look at verses 16 and 17 jesus answered my teachings not of my own it comes from the one who sent me anyone who chooses to do the will of god will find out whether my teaching comes from god or whether i speak on my own So first, Jesus deflects the glory these people are trying to give his speaking and his intellectual abilities. They're not praising him for being Savior. They're not praising him for being God. They're assuming he's just looking for the same human glory they are and we all pursue. Knowing this, Jesus says, no, 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 no. Look at God. Look what God can do. Look at the one who sent me. Give God the glory. Now pay attention here. Verse 18, verse 18 is the key to our passage. It starts, whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. And that's what we've been talking about, right? That personal glory, the seeking of personal glory that just comes up so empty in life continues, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. The mark of truth in our lives is God exaltation instead of self-exaltation. Jesus tells us we need to seek the glory of God instead of our own personal glory. But that's about the hardest thing in life to do. I mean, it feels like we're hardwired to seek our own glory. It's difficult to make all that we are, all that we do, all that we're about, about God's glory. And that's what Jesus says exactly to do in verse 18, to seek the glory of God instead of our personal glory. The glory of God how do you even begin to wrap your mind around a thing like the glory of God? I've been praying about this all week, just asking God, what, what am I supposed to share about your glory? <laughs> I think I had about 17 points, so we might need to get a snack. No, I'm just kidding. We're only going to talk about two, just two, okay? Just two things I want to share with you about God's glory. The first is this. God is passionate about his glory. God is passionate about his glory. This ties together the grand story of scripture. Why did God create? For his glory. Revelation 4.11 says, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. Why did God call Israel? For his glory. Jeremiah 13:11 says that God chose Israel that they might be for me a people for renown for praise and for glory. Why did God save Israel from Egypt? Exodus 14:4, 4, I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. What's on the lips? Of the angels at Jesus' birth, Luke 2.14, glory to God in the highest heaven. Why are those who believe in Christ chosen and redeemed? Ephesians 1.12, for the praise of his glory. Why will Jesus come again? 1 Thessalonians 1.9-10, from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified what will fill the earth at the end of time. Habakkuk 2.14, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. God is passionate about his glory. God does what God does for God's glory. God's glory is the display and recognition of his infinite holiness and power, and worth. But there might be something about God being passionate about his glory that sounds a little strange to us. Probably for a couple reasons. First, because if any of us said this, it'd be ridiculous. If any of us claimed to be passionate about our own glory, it'd be the most silly thing possible because we simply don't deserve that. But God does deserve ultimate glory. God deserves it, because only he is creator, all-powerful, all-present, eternal. So it shouldn't surprise us. We should know that it is good and it is right that God is passionate about his glory. And second, it might feel strange to us, because we're so used to this look-at-me mentality that we don't want to share our glory with God. So if the God you believe in is more passionate about your image, your money, your happiness than he is about his own glory, you've made him up. If the God you believe in is more interested in the particular ways you like things done on Sunday mornings than he is in people, lost souls coming to see his glory, then you've made him up. If the God you believe in is more interested in your politics, your family, your life than he is in his own glory, and you've made him up. Because God is passionate. God is passionate about his glory. Second thing I want to share with you about God's glory is that God's glory is why you exist. God's glory is why you exist. God's glory is why I exist. God's glory is why we all exist. Exists. The purpose of your life is to glorify God. Isaiah 43, 7 says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. God created us for what purpose? His glory. What's the biggest question in life? Why am I here, right? Why am I here? That's the biggest question. And scripture answers this question, why are you here? You're here to glorify God. Our lives exist to reflect the glory of God. So maybe for years you've been living out of this look at me mentality, making life about you, wondering why it keeps feeling empty. And it's because you simply were not created for that. I have a friend who's uh, an incredible craftsman. He makes beautiful furniture. There's nothing better for him in a day than to take his tools outside and turn a rough piece of wood into a gorgeous table. God created him with this gift for this, this purpose of being an artist with, with wood. But imagine if you were to make him live outside of that purpose that he was crafted, that he was created for. Imagine if you stuck him in an office building, he'd be, he'd be miserable, he'd be empty. He'd be empty. This is not what God created him for. God created us all for a purpose. To glorify him. And when we live outside of that purpose, it shouldn't surprise us that we feel empty in life. When our lives say, look at me, instead of look at God, we're contradicting the very reason why God created us and why we exist. The pinnacle of God's glory, is the grace Christ offers us. And it will only be when we put faith in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and begin to orient our lives in a God-glorifying way that says, look at God, instead of look at me, that we'll finally be able to say, ah, yes, yes, this, now this, is what I've been made for. And it's only when we're doing what we're created for, glorifying God, that we'll find true joy in life. God is passionate about His glory, and God's glory is why we exist. Both of these truths tell us look at God, look at God. Don't look at me, look at God. All of creation already is. Psalm 19, one to two says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. When you step outside this afternoon, this morning, and you see that unending sky, know that it's there to declare the glory of God. And the next time you're driving through the mountains, you come around that curve and you get your breath taken away by the peaks, know that the reason they're there is to glorify God. Look at God. The next time you hold a little baby and you're looking down into their face, know that the reason they were created was to declare the glory of God. And tonight, As you're about to go to sleep and you're looking at yourself in the mirror, look a little longer and know that you're here to declare the glory of God. All of creation is on display to declare the glory of God. And yet so often we find ourselves stuck at the top of the steps yelling, look at me look what I can do, hoping someone will notice. And the question is, will you continue that lonely cry or will you join your voice with the chorus of all creation declaring, look at God. Look what God can do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this, this time to come before you as a church family to praise your name, Lord. We pray that in all that we do and we are, we would bring glory and acclaim renown to you, Christ. We pray that we take some of those things in life where we've been seeking for people to look at us and turn them in such a way that they would look to you instead. Lord, we pray that our entire lives would be a declaration of your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We stand for our final hymn.